nobody, nobody needs alcohol in their life. I'm not advocating for moderation. I'm actually advocating for the least amount for you to feel good about you. And if the least amount is zero, wonderful. You're listening to Make Some Noise Podcast, episode number 506 with guest Sherry Price. Welcome to Make Some Noise Podcast, your guide for strategies, tools, and insight to empower yourself. I'm your host, Andrea Owen, global speaker, entrepreneur, life coach since 2007, and author of three books that have been translated into 18 languages and are available in 22 countries. Each week, I'll bring you a guest or a lesson that will help you maximize unshakable confidence, master resilience, and make some noise in your life. You ready? Let's go. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am so glad that you are here. I'm grateful that you choose to spend time with me. And I'm also really excited about today's guest because, as you know, I've been doing themes on the podcast. And right now, we're in the recovery theme. And I know that it's a fairly small percentage of you who have either in the past had a dysfunctional relationship with alcohol or or something else or are questioning some kind of numbing mechanism that you, you know, want to talk about recovery or hear about recovery from other people. So I found Sherry Price. I don't know where I found her on social media or or wherever, but she is someone who helps typically women moderate their drinking. And at first I was a little skeptical. If you are someone who identifies as, you know, like an addict (laughs) or someone in recovery, you know, we always kind of have a little bit of a raised eyebrow when we're like, really? Uh, you're going to help someone who's struggling with with moderation. But I'm so grateful that I had this conversation with her. And it's it's really interesting, the stats that she shares, the her expertise, what she sees in her clients that work with her. Uh, and, and just anyway, I'll let you I'll let you have a listen and determine for yourself what what your thoughts are. And one thing I want to remind you of, I have opened up 25 exclusive spots for one-off, one-on-one sessions with me. And they are at a heavily discounted price. This is something that I, I'm sorry if you can hear my dog whining in the background. She is not happy that I'm not paying attention to her. She's fine. She's just on the couch staring at me. But anyway, um, this is something I love doing, these one-on-one sessions. I'm calling them calling forth sessions, and but it's really for anything that you want to bring. They are only $97. So if you simply go to andreaowen.com slash one, O-N-E, you will see the page there that has all the information, and you can just sign up right there. So once they're gone, they're gone. There's only 25 spots. So if that page is still up and available, then there are still some spots that are ready to be booked. So hopefully I will get to see you. And let me tell you a little bit about our guest today. Sherry Price is a certified life coach, pharmacist, and creator of the Drink Less Lifestyle Podcast and Epic You program. Using empowerment-based tools, she helps women to stop overdrinking, improve relationships, and live their most epic self. So without further ado, here is Sherry. Sherry, thank you so much for being here. Oh, this is such an honor to come and speak with you and your audience. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. I'm excited to talk to you because you are unique. I remember that's exactly why I wanted you to come on. And I, I remember typing to my team, you know, like reach out to to this woman. I really hope that she says yes, because you, well, why don't you in your words, tell us what you help, how do you help your clients? Like, what do they come to you for and how do you help them? 
Yeah. So I identified as an overdrinker and I really didn't identify as somebody with an addiction problem. I was really touched when I saw the TED talk on gray area drinkers. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, that's me, right? I yeah. don't crave it right out of bed. I don't feel like I have withdrawal symptoms or anything, but it was my way to relax. It was my way to unwind. And I knew it was mm-hmm. too much for my body because my body would tell me the next day with a headache, with a hangover, like, you know, brain fog, all the things. So I'm like, I really want to get to a place for me. My language was, I want to get to a place where I could, I would say normal drinker, but even my husband was like, well, what is that? There's no definition of normal drinking. I said, where I could just take it or leave it. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't have to claim recovery, abstinence. I don't have to claim sober. Like none of those terms really ignited passion to heal any of it. Although I believed, okay, they're just terms. They're just words. I just wanted to get to a place kind of where I'm like, yeah, there's some alcohol there. Yeah, I might have one. Or I might not. And it doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't impact my life. Where if prior to that, I was it re, my life revolved around alcohol. It was the mommy wine culture. It was the right. way I relaxed. It was the way I'm a perfectionist. And so if I had 13 things on my to-do list and I only got 12 of them done, that was my language. I only got 12 done, that one thing, yeah. right? So it was a way to take away disappointment. It was a way to take mm. away my frustration, my anger with my child. Um, it was just my way of dealing and coping. Yeah. I used to call it a mini vacation. Oh, yeah. Just to <laughs> just to disconnect. Mm-hmm. 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 And I think so many of us, and we know this from the stats after COVID, right? Some of us really fell down the rabbit hole of drinking. Yeah. So yeah, my goal is to help women find a way where they can have it in their life if they want it or mm-hmm. come back in a way that feels authentic to them. And then I know that this is like your answer could be 90 minutes long, but is there like a process that you take people through? First part of the question. And then second part of the question, do you sometimes work with someone where it becomes apparent like that there is an addiction problem and they need to seek some kind of rehabilitation? I do take people through a process and I'll get to that probably in the later part. I want to address the second question because when I found this statistic, I was like, oh my gosh, why didn't I know this? I am a pharmacist. Mm -hmm. I'm in healthcare. I worked in hospitals. I've treated people with alcoholic liver disease. I've seen people need liver transplants due to alcohol. Like, but yet I never, I never knew the stats around how prevalent is addiction, like severe, severe addiction. And now they don't call it addiction because, you know, that's kind of derogatory. So now they call it severe alcohol use disorder. Mm -hmm. So when I stumbled upon this statistic, I was shocked because I felt seen. I thought I was different or abnormal. Um, But on the CDC's website, it says about 90% of people who drink excessively would not be expected to meet the clinical diagnostic criteria of having a severe alcohol use disorder. So think about that over 90%. Mm -hmm. So for a lot of us, I call it just like a bad habit. It's just something we fell into. We got accustomed to using alcohol a certain way. We're in this culture where alcohol is really cool. It's cool to Mm -hmm. do wine tours and, you know, uh, get together with people over wine, meet up, have block parties and have cocktails, fancy cocktails. You know, it's, it's just a way we, um, kind of do life. It's kind of like the new smoking. (laughs) And it it totally is. (laughs) It's glamorized, right? You see ads for cruises and there's an older couple on the back of the boat with a glass of champagne, right? So, Mm -hmm. so there's this 
elevated status to drinking too. You know, it's, it's, it's really interesting. So I just want to address that um, because yes, there are people who are addicted and there are people that should abstain if, Mm -hmm. you know, but that's less than 10% of people. And Mm -hmm. so, yes, they should go to medical practitioners. I fully believe them would refer them out. You know, I have a network of people, which I keep in contact with. So I can truly help somebody who wants to be helped. Okay. And then that leads to the first part of your question is I do take them through a process, but the first part of the process is you have to want help. You can't change somebody who doesn't want to change. Nobody can make somebody change. And so I think the first part of the process is are they willing to change? Is this something they're willing to embark on? And then laying out what realistically that will take and what that will look like. And I think some people are ready for that. Some people want to hear that truth and some people aren't. And that's okay too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My goal is never to make anybody feel bad, less than. No. It's just to explore What's holding you back? Because when we really get past the fears, everybody wants to change this. Everybody wants to have a long, healthy, prosperous life, right? That's like a human desire. It's so interesting. And I know that our conversation could could be so long because I have so many questions, but they pertain to like my life specifically. (laughs) So I don't want like, let's make this all just about Andrea. But (laughs) I I think I speak for some of my, my listeners here in that I was one of that 90%, like where I didn't have any, I would be in AA meetings and people would say like, so how are your withdrawal symptoms? Like, are you getting the shakes? I'm like, no, I never was physically addicted. Right. I knew if I stayed on the path that I was, because I was up to a bottle of wine a night. And I know that the quantity doesn't really matter. But for me, that was a lot. Eventually it would be two bottles and then who knows how much more. And then maybe I'd go to, to, you know, harder liquor instead of just wine or beer, but no, I never had any of those. Uh, I would get up in the morning after drinking a bottle of wine and go for a run, pushing my two kids in a double stroller. And part of it was to prove, you know, like, look at how healthy I am and look at, you know, how much I have, have my whole life under control, not just my drinking, but my whole life. So it, that's interesting to me. And I know that if I would have found someone like you, I would have gone through your thing and probably succeeded. But then later, here's my prediction. I would have fallen back into my bad habit. And like, I know without a doubt that I'm an addict based on my other behaviors with either substances or with people. Like, I just cannot, I cannot. <laughs> mm-hmm. I have mm-hmm. to abstain. Mm-hmm. But I will say, like, it sounds kind of sexy and romantic. Like, when you're like, well, yeah, I help people like take it or leave it. I just, I also know I'm an addict because I can't even imagine. Mm. I can't even th- fathom for a second what that's like. Hmm. Because I, my mindset was, I was talking to somebody else um, that I had on the show who was a, um, who was a heroin addict. And we were both in agreement that moderation sounds super unappealing to me. Like that, like, I don't, I don't want that. Like I would, I would do it just to prove to you that I could or to whoever else, but like, I want four or five glasses of wine most nights. (laughs) I'm like one. I would drink to forget about everything. Yeah. And so it's so fascinating to me that there are actually people who drink simply because they like the taste of it and or they like just a tiny bit of a buzz and they're fine when it wears off. 
Mm-hmm. That's that was the trigger for me, like the wearing off of the buzz. Yes. Was like, how do I get that back? How do I yes. get more? How do I get back to that place? So all that to say, is that a little bit of a red flag to you? Totally. Totally. Okay. You know, I actually have a podcast on that. Um, those who drink for effect, like to mm-hmm. keep the buzz going, to mm-hmm. numb out their spouse or the kids or Grief, whatever problems they're yeah. going through. <laughs> exactly. So um, if they want the podcast, it's called uh, Effect Versus Experience. And okay. I find we'll it in the, show, in the show notes. If you drink for experience, it might be different, right? Where you're not mm-hmm. seeking it for self-medication. Yeah. Well, it was both. I, I was, it was definitely both. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're drinking it to self-medicate, mm-hmm. there's never going to be enough alcohol, right? Because you're right. with tolerance, the way the drug works, it's a drug. So the fact that you don't want it or don't want it in your life, congratulate yourself. That's amazing, right? Mm-hmm. No, but nobody needs alcohol in their life. <laughs> I'm not advocating yeah. for um, moderation. I'm actually advocating for the least amount for you to feel good about you. And if the least amount is zero, wonderful, mm-hmm. wonderful. I say that again, because I think that's so important. The, the least, least amount, amount to feel good about you. Is that what you said? Yeah. The least amount for you to feel good about you. Now, see why I say that is because some people can't get to zero right away or it's too scary for them. So like, mm-hmm. let's just take it slower, right? Because any amount of this toxin that we don't take in is better for our body, better for our mind, better for our health, better for our waistline, better for our sleep, better for, you know, uh, the parent we choose to be, the employee we choose to be, the spouse we want to be, right? It's just better. Mm -hmm. So let's just embrace better. And that's what my brain needed because I'm such a perfectionist. I was all or nothing. If I couldn't abstain for the whole month, the whole year, I would just consider myself a failure and then just might as well drink. Just might as well keep kicking Mm -hmm. it back, you know? So I love that you understand your brain and how it works and that you have made choices that honor that. And that's exactly what I help my clients do. I'm assuming another goal of your clients is to be able to have maybe just one beer or one glass of wine or one cocktail and maybe want another one, but have the gumption to say no. Exactly. So I call that the joy of stopping. I think a lot of people think stopping is negative. It's deprivation. I should be able to have more. Like you could have more. There's nobody Mm -hmm. saying you can't. We're adults. We can do what we Mm -hmm. want, right? There are consequences to those actions. However, if you, you flip the narrative on that, and I call it being like elegantly satisfied. Like I have cheesecake in my life sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I'm just elegantly satisfied after a couple of bites. I don't need to finish the whole piece, the whole cake, go back for more, you know? So that's what works for my brain. That's what works for some people. Now, is that going to work for everybody? No, we have to find what works for us and what keeps us in that safe zone, Mm -hmm. you know, in that way that we want to be operating. And so if it's no alcohol, fully endorse that. If it's just a drink because you want to enjoy it on a special occasion, you want to have a nice date night um, and you enjoy the taste and you enjoy the experience and you're not doing it to self-medicate or to cope with something else going on in your life, then by all means, I don't find personally anything wrong with that. I love that you have all these like monikers for it. What was the, what was the one, the joy of saying, saying no? Yeah. It's, yeah. you know how amazing it feels to say, I, I don't want anymore. I don't have more desire. Like that one drink, sometimes I don't even finish. I don't know what that drink. feels like. 
Yeah. It's like, I just don't desire more. I just don't desire more. Yeah. That's so fascinating to me that, that people's brains can actually do that. I relate to you with the food analogy, you know, because I, and it's another reason I know that I can't drink because if I, like, I love the Girardelli, um, you know, the squares that you can get them like in the individual squares, the ones that have caramel in them. And it's so rich that I can only eat just one. If I eat, I want to eat more because they're so delicious. Yeah. But I will be sick. It will make me sick. But what's interesting is it's the same thing with alcohol. Like it will make me sick. It will make me make the poorest of decisions. Yeah. It will make me drink way too many drinks, but yet I will still continue to do it. Yeah. So I'm like, what, what is it about the drug of alcohol and, you know, benzos and many times men that, that makes me completely lose all capacity for good decisions? But when it comes to food, the physical illness is enough for me to say no. Yeah. And I mean, maybe you know the answer to that. It's like different chemicals going off. Well, here's what I, I would ask is if the effect, how how quickly do you get ill when you eat that chocolate? Oh, like uh, if I'm eating a second one immediately. That's why. Like, it doesn't even taste good in my mouth. That's exactly why. The brain links it when there's an immediate response. The reason most of us can't say, well, I'll just think about how I'm going to feel tomorrow. It doesn't mm-hmm. work because the brain doesn't connect what you're doing at eight o'clock at night to how you're going to feel at 6 a.m. Right. But the fact that you have immediate symptoms is why you're able to experience it differently. And have the joy of saying no to another caramel. Exactly. Because you know, oh my gosh, one more bite, I'm going to get instantly sick. If alcohol mm-hmm. did that to us, we would easily say no to the second, third, fourth glass. Maybe that's what someone needs to invent. Like like some kind of tablet or something that we can take that dissolves in our mouth and makes that second drink taste awful. (laughs) That would be a magic pill, wouldn't it? Everybody would love that. (laughs) Everybody would rather do the simple, quick, easy fix than actually really look at why they're drinking. Right? You work in pharmacology. You get it. (laughs) Yes, totally. I'm a pharmacist. I'd hear, is this going to take away my depression? How many? How many weeks? How many, how long do I have to take this medicine? Exactly. All the questions. Yep. Okay. So I'm not taking like six giant steps back. I probably should have asked this in the very beginning and you may have already answered it a little bit in the beginning, but can you, can you clarify for us? Like, what is the definition, whether it's you, or I don't know if like the CDC makes this definition of a quote unquote over drinker. I haven't seen a definition out there. So I'll just say, this is my definition. Uh, When you drink and then there's negative consequences that come from that. So that could be immediate for some people, Mm -hmm. you know, like some people can't tolerate it because they get a rash or a breakout or they start feeling lightheaded. Um, or it's the next day, you know, like they're, they're, feeling tired or sluggish, or they can't remember what they said. That's like a lot of uh, women that come to me will be like, I'm so embarrassed. My filter went, I said this to my husband or my kids said something and I didn't remember. Um, You know, I have blackouts or I just don't recall the evening so well. And now that I'm older, I can't, I tolerate it less. My hormones, you know, my metabolism slowed down. So of course I'm not processing it like I used to in my twenties. So the, you know, these effects happen as the body ages and there's nothing wrong with you and there's nothing wrong. We just need to adapt by the way our now our bodies are now working. So over drinking, I think is anything that you would define as you're feeling negative consequences of it in your life. For a lot of women, it's weight gain. 
You know, mm-hmm. they they used to be able to drink and it not affect their waistline. And now it's affecting their waistline or it causes them to do excess snacking. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So there are many reasons why people want to cut back. Okay. It's interesting to me what you were saying, how they don't call it would you say they don't call it addiction anymore? Like, the, right. And when, and when you say they, who's they, is that like, the, like all the national societies and NIAA, the NIH and CDC. Yes. So they, they call it alcohol use disorder. Right. Because these, what is it called? The DSM five criteria had changed. And so they okay. took away addict because it was too negative. And so um, they now classify alcohol use disorder as moderate, mild, or severe. And so severe use would be considered addict. Addict. Okay. So it reminds me a little bit about, you know, my son has is autistic and how autism is such a broad term and there's so many different categories depending on someone's needs that fall into that. So it kind of reminds me of the same thing. And I agree with you that yes, it it addict is a big term that I think needs to be categorized a little bit different. But on the other hand, it makes me kind of mad because I'm like, shouldn't we be working on the stigma? Yes. <laughs> yes. Lessening. That and that's part of kind a little bit of what frustrates me about the sort of movement that we saw starting several years ago. Now it's been years of this wellness movement. It's like what do they call alcohol free? Like the AF, you know, I'm alcohol free. And I would see people online posting online like, oh, I decided to be alcohol free, and then so quickly follow that up with, but I'm not an alcoholic. And I'm over here like, fuck off. <laughs> like, does that, do you have to follow it up with that? It just, as someone in recovery, it made, it made me feel like me and people that I care about are othered. It's uh, like, but I'm not like them. And the, uh, the, the sort of analogy that I use is remember when pole dancing became really popular and there yes. were people like I'm taking pole dancing lessons, but I'm not a stripper. Yes. And it's like strippers everywhere. We're like, <laughs> okay. Yeah, right. You know, like, I'm curious what your thoughts are about that. Just the stigma and the renaming and all of that. I say never put yourself in a bucket or wear a label. You don't want to wear a label and just be sensitive to the people that may identify with that label. So I hear you on this because I think there's good that comes out of labeling. And I also think there's bad that comes out Mm -hmm. of labeling. For instance, I have a daughter who has Tourette syndrome Mm -hmm. and so early on in her diagnoses, she was unable to control her tics, her motor, her vocal. Um, So I would do my best as a parent. And so I looked for support groups here in San Diego. We would go to, you know, the mom's meetup groups or the family meetup groups of kids with Tourette. And she would just say, mom, I don't want to be somebody who looks at me and they think Tourette is the first thing that comes to their mind. Mm, uh-huh. So she did not want the label. She still doesn't want the label. She says, it just makes me feel not normal. As a healthcare practitioner, I'm like, wait, support groups are the way. Like, this is how you exchange information. This is how you feel like there isn't anything wrong with you because there's other people like this. So my mm. brain operates differently because I enjoy labels because it helps me find people like me where I feel a sense of belonging. Mm -hmm. So while that felt safe for my brain, it felt alienated for her brain. So I really think. Well, and how old was she when she was telling you that? She was six, which is crazy. Yes. Mm -hmm. And now she's 12, but the foresight or the insight she had, and I'm thinking my six-year-old's crazy. Like she can't be this mature and 
put Mm -hmm. these words to this, you know, but she would go to these groups. We only went to three times and she would just sit on the side and interact with nobody. Um, She just didn't want any part of it. And I kept trying, you know, two more times. And then finally my husband's like, I think you're doing her a disservice rather than a service. Why don't we just stop coming? And I'm like, okay, (laughs) because my brain, right. My Mm. brain was so about let's find people where we feel comfortable you know, likes, like, like, right. And, and she was just, no, I just feel more alienated and I don't want to feel this way. I want to be considered normal. So for her, the label didn't work for me. Labels sometimes work. Yeah. So I think it's an individual thing and, and choice. Yeah. Yeah. And people can get for lack of a better word, triggered by that a label Mm -hmm. or not labeled. Yeah. It's very understandable, I think, especially for a young person who's trying to find their way. And it's so hard to grow up anyway, let alone have a struggle like that and a challenge like that. And I do think that I was in a unique position when I came out with my recovery story, being someone who's in the self-help industry Mm -hmm. and who has the tools. You know, I have immense amounts of privilege. Like I have the tools to be able to have resources or therapists or even check myself into to rehab if I needed to, where not everyone has that. So I felt a lot more comfortable being the face, quote unquote, of recovery and and also felt called to do it. Yes. And I've had countless emails of, uh, especially of women saying, thank you for telling your story because you gave me the courage to quit drinking or to you know come out to my family about that this being a problem and no one knew and i could have just gone on having it be a secret and it would have been a complete disaster so but i can understand um and i appreciate your your anecdote around that 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 it's it's really not for everyone but it, i think it can be both you know yes to what we were just talking about that it's an individual choice and i do still think that we need to work to remove the stigma of things like Tourette's and, um, and addiction. And it's just, I, I think that still we're in that place of mental illness is still so misunderstood and agree bless generation Z for for making some swift changes, but still, I think we have a, we have a big hill to climb. Yeah. And I work with people, you know, my age or sometimes a lot older and they're in careers where if, if they had addiction in their medical record, it would really jeopardize 20, 30 years of medical school, 20, 30 years in their industry. Mm -hmm. Um, And and so it feels so scary to them to use that term. And, you know, maybe they've had interactions with addicts who have multiple other conditions going on. And so they don't feel that that's the right label because they don't have the, all the other things. And, you know, some people think of the most dramatic, right? Homeless, mm-hmm. schizophrenia, you know, carrying it in a brown bag. They're like, no, my wine is $50 a bottle. I do it more in an elevated way. But so I just think, what does the term mean to the individual as well? And what mm-hmm. associations do they have with it? And if it's a term that they don't want to embrace, but still want to get help, let's just focus on the getting help. Yeah, I agree with that. And I I also just want to make mention that I think especially for people who, you know, here I am, a a, a white woman, it's, it's, I I am safer to, to come out with it. And people who are, you know, even have multiple marginalized identities, it's, it's many times unsafe, like you were mentioning about that person in their, in their career. 
If you like to consume podcasts, which I'm assuming that you do because you're here, if you do, I think you would love audiobooks if you have not found them already. Audible has a free trial. You can try it for 30 days for $0, and then you can get two free audiobooks with Premium Plus. All three of my books are over there on Audible, 52 Ways to Live a Kick-Ass Life, How to Stop Feeling Like Shit, and Make Some Noise. Plus, most of the books I recommend here on this show and my guests' books are over there as well. After 30 days, you get one audiobook a month for $14.95 a month, and you receive 30% off the price of additional audiobook purchases, and you can cancel at any time. Easy peasy. Your books are yours to keep even if you cancel. Go to andreaowen.com slash audible to sign up for your free trial. That's andreaowen.com slash audible. I'm super curious about this and what your opinion is, because um, as you're probably familiar in the Alcoholics Anonymous big book, they have one doctor's opinion, Mm -hmm. literally one, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. who says that alcoholism is a disease. Mm -hmm. And I, even from the beginning, and, and I mean, you talk to a lot of people in AA and I think most of them will be like, yes, it is. Mm-hmm. It, it's a disease. And I was always kind of like on the sidelines. I'm like, but is it though? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm just curious what your opinion is on it. Yeah. You know, I read a great book. Abstinence is a myth. Um, Addie Jaffe put this together. He was uh, a meth addict, uh, alcoholic in jail. Now he helps people with addiction. Um, he's associate with UCLA. He's out here in Los Angeles. Um, and he talks about that maybe it's not a disease, you know? And so I've been reading some books on this and, you know, it's a mental condition. Mm-hmm. I think it's curable. Um, some people think it just goes into remission, um, but I think it is curable. Um, so that could be just an N of one experience and how I'm interpreting, interpreting all the data. Um mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just really want to focus on still out, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, can we just focus on getting help and, yeah, you know, like doing the best you can with the knowledge that we have and finding ways to just reduce it or cut it out. Yeah. Um, doesn't matter if it's a disease. I think we call it a disease. So healthcare can pay for it when it gets severe, which I do love that. Exactly. So from mm. that standpoint, it fits the medical model we have in the United States. Yeah. I, I do love that. And it, it just is interesting to me how and i am definitely not the not an expert on the big book especially the, the it's called the doctor's opinion that chapter and i believe that he refers to it and kind of categorizes it as an allergy mm-hmm. and that, you know and and i i get that you know like i was mentioning i don't have an off switch when it comes to alcohol and it it could be but i just i just always wondered you know i don't i don't know um and i'm certainly not a doctor but i just i always wondered about that and just the whole mental condition. It it fascinates me to no end, but I do agree definitely that our brains work a particular way. I I've say I've said this several times on the podcast. Uh, you know, my motto is if one is good, then five is better. And I'm I'm that way with many things. And it, it just it, it it's still fa- I I know I've said it a million times. It still fascinates me that people don't think like that. <laughs> yeah. 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 It it is interesting. And there are some, you know, great books like some people might find alcohol to just to be a way to soothe ourselves. Um, I know I have a podcast on that too. It's like the adult pacifier. It's just the way that we comfort ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so if you 
suffer mild or even major trauma in your life, right? There's Gabor Mate. He talks about it's just a trauma response, right? It's mm-hmm. just the way that we're trying to soothe ourselves. And you're right. If it's we're doing it to self-medicate, there'll never be enough. There's another book called Never Enough. Um, yeah. Exactly. Because one will help. And then, and then your brain's going to like, well, that helped. Let's go for two because the brain's always going to want to feel better. You're going to want to feel better. And if one felt good, of course, you're going to go for two, for three, for four. And because of the way the drug works, there's going to be tolerance that builds. So of course, you know, one bottle leads to two bottles, just like you were saying. And so knowing, knowing exactly what works for you and, and what you need to do to be the best version of yourself, I think is such a gift you give yourself. Thank you. And I, I want to ask you, because I've never had anyone on my show that that does what, what you do and your work is so new to me. I don't think I've ever asked uh, someone this question, but what is the question that like you want me to ask you? Or like, what do you think is the most important thing that you want to make sure that you say during our time together? I think what I had learned along this journey, there was a book that really resonated with me. It was called Undoing Drugs. It just came out last year. And Maya Salovitz wrote the book. Um, and she's an advocate for harm reduction, not just with alcohol, but, you know, clean needles for HIV, you know, all that, um, for drug use. And I had her on my podcast. And when I read her book, it really flipped how I thought about my journey and how it's so similar to an addict. Cause I've always wanted to distance myself because I didn't feel I had some of those conditions in my life. I had, I was very successful. I love my family. I'm lucky to have the privileges that I have, but her book really highlighted that if we just meet people where they're at and you can't punish addiction out of somebody. Sure so can. it really, it really highlighted for me, like what we're not doing right mm-hmm. in this country, um, criminalizing it. The incarceration. Uh, yes, yeah. exactly. Cause you can't punish it out of somebody. And just the, that's a really great resource for anybody who I know I get a lot of calls about, you know, I'm not struggling with alcohol or drug use, but my kids are, or somebody in my family is, you know, the tough love principle. It just doesn't really play out long-term. And Mm -hmm. so I love just this concept. And that's what I'd really love to communicate to the world is just meet somebody where they're at because they're doing it, not because they want the drug, but they want the effect of the drug. And if we can meet that need another way, let's find that path together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you work with clients on that specifically, or do you save that for their therapist? No, actually we go right there. I start people off knowing why do you want it? Cause yeah. I think so many times we're so about, I shouldn't want it. Um, I'm not going to have it. I'm going to empty my house of it. And I'm not downplaying any of that, but it doesn't give us the capacity to really understand why we wanted it. Mm-hmm. And when my coach helped me understand why I wanted it, there was such darkness inside of me that I didn't know I had buried that we brought to light. And and it was so therapeutic to talk about it and cry it out mm-hmm. about where I felt not enough, where I felt that I can't mother this child that I've been given that I love so much, but I can't, she thinks like different than me. Like there was just so much pain that I was drinking to numb. Um, mm-hmm. And when 
somebody allowed me to speak why I wanted it, what made my life so much better with it in my life, then we had something concrete to work with. And that's when I could truly get more healing. Yes. So yes to all of that. Yeah. So we have to go right to the need of why, Mm -hmm. why there's the desire for it. Yeah. I wrote about this in, um, I think it was in my second book, How Stop Feeling Like Shit. It might be in the the re-release only, where in the numbing chapter, I I asked the question, fill in the blank, like what is the what is the problem that you think drinking will solve or whatever it is that you're doing to numb? But I, I have to say, like in the beginning, if I would have answered that, I would have just said stress, you know, how yes. hard it was to be a mom of two toddlers, how hard it was to have started a brand new business and not know what I'm doing. Like it was all this kind of surface level stuff, which is valid. It is stressful. But what was underneath it, it the reason I was so on edge and like feeling like, like a tooth with the root out <laughs> was because of grief I had never processed of the, mm-hmm. you know, the, destruction and explosion of my first marriage. Um, you know, just daddy issues and and regular pain that all of us have. The circumstances mm-hmm. obviously might look a little bit different, but we all have dysfunction from our family of origin. We all have relationship problems and maybe past relationships that we never really grieved or that we, ha- we haven't processed yet. And that was the stuff that was just simmering underneath. And how did you that- get to uncover that? How did you uncover that? It was, well, I tried to do it the hard way for a really long time, just like white knuckle. And it's like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. It was a lot uh, for, well, for me, one of my um, ways of dealing with things is is writing. Like I just write to like make sense of things and that's how I get things out. So I, I, that's art for me. So I think people, whatever your art is, do that. It might not be writing. It might be something else. And therapists who could cut through my bullshit. Mm. because I got so good. And I think so many like high achieving women are like this. We are so good at making everyone and convince lying to ourselves enough where we even convince ourselves that we're fine. Like, it's really not that big of a deal. Like I should be over this. Like, and it just, yeah. Finding the right therapist who could cut through the bullshit and ask me questions like who takes care of you? You know, how do you take care of yourself? Um, where's the grief in your life? Mm. Because we all have it. Like wh- mm-hmm. what is what is what is what have you lost in your life that you have not dealt with? Mm. That you're pretending like things are okay. Once I found a therapist who could cut through the bullshit and really also I think having friends, no one's ever asked me this question. Thank you, Sherry. Um, having female friends who could be emotionally supportive for me. And where I could really, like you said, like the dark side, like the shadow side that I didn't want anybody to see, like have the full meltdowns, like the the sobbing, heaving, weeping yes. in front of someone else and that they don't leave and they don't judge you and they don't look at you like, when is she going to stop crying? Yeah. Because I looked at myself like, when is she going to stop crying? When When I had that, and that took years of all of those things. To finally be like, damn, I am fucking sad about X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And it's okay yeah. to be sad about that. Yeah. I think that is tremendous for anyone listening to this podcast to hear is that exposing 
those parts of us that we don't want to look at. And when they are exposed, that the person we're exposing that stuff and sharing that stuff with can be there for us and make us feel it's safe to explore this and expose this. I think that is so healing, so life-changing. And like you said, Mm -hmm. I took it out on my coach and she did not judge me. She did not like, look at me like, you got five more minutes, lady, clean this up. Like Mm -hmm. she was there and it was the ugly cry. It was like, oh my gosh, I didn't know this was here. And you're, I was embarrassed of the way I was acting. You know, I'm like, Mm -hmm. I'm a put together professional. I I don't Mm -hmm. crumble like this. You know, there was so, so much judgment I had on myself, but seeing another human not judge you in that. And it's so freeing. And yeah. it's, it's a gift, Healing. right? And thank God for those healers and those therapists and those people that don't take our bullshit and the straight A answer that we want to give because we're so have done their own work so they can see yes. yours that needs to be done and they can sit with you and not feel like they need to like fix everything and clean it up. Exactly. Exactly. That's why those are just, those people are just gems and yeah, it's, I wish that for everyone. Like, I wish that everyone could find those people and keep looking. If you're someone listening to this and you haven't found the right friendships and you haven't found the right therapist, and, and I know it's a privilege to be able to, to have that access, but it is possible. And the work isn't done, you know, like I still have stuff and, right. uh, and still all of that, but, um, we're not like Humpty Dumpty where we can just get thrown back on the wall and put back together. Well, and like, and and all those things can be true. Like you can still be a put together professional and have, you know, heaving, not yet crying (laughs) fests with someone who holds space for you. It's like both of those things can be true, but I, I, I appreciate your time and your, um, being so candid with me and, and introducing me to this work because I mean, I, it, it's not for me, but I love that it's available for people to, even if they are trying to convince themselves that they can take it or leave it. And then through your work, find out that they actually, like, I want people to go through whatever they need to go through to get to wherever they need to be. Yeah. Because sometimes you might always wonder. It's true. And there are so many women that come through and they'll say, like, I thought I wanted some alcohol in my life, but it's so much better without any. Mm-hmm. And that realization is amazing. And then, and they, they don't feel like I have to give it up or I can't have it. it it's none of that. It just changes the narrative and their experience yeah. of alcohol, which is a beautiful thing to just yeah. not want it. So kudos to that and the, in just deciding where it fits and how it fits and if it fits. Yeah. Where it fits and if it fits. I, I love that last part too. So I will put um, the links to those books that you mentioned and the and that TED Talk as well as your website and any services that you have in the show notes. But is there anywhere you want people to go to learn more about you? Is it your your website, epicu.com or social media or somewhere else? Yeah, epicu.com is my website. You'll find my podcast there called Drink Less Lifestyle and then all the links to everything else. Awesome. Thank you so much. And listeners, thank you so much for being here. You know, I appreciate your time so much. And remember, it's our life's journey to make ourselves better humans and our life's responsibility to make the world a better place. Bye for now. Hey, did you know there's free secret podcast episodes waiting for you that are not part of my regular podcast feed? Yes. AndreaOwen.com slash free. And you just sign up 
you get a link sent to you. It's very secret. It's like a secret club. We don't have a secret handshake. Don't worry about that. But it's these motivating podcast episodes that I made for you. They're under 20 minutes each. There's three of them. They're for wherever you are in your life. So head on over there and grab them. They range from really supporting you and seeing you where you are and being compassionate all the way to giving you a giant kick in your ass and telling you how amazing and gorgeous and phenomenal you are. So andreaowen.com slash free and get your hands on that free podcast feed.